Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Carving It Up Live right here on Twitter, as well as the Carving It Up YouTube channel and the Grid Network YouTube channel. As always, I am Bryson Carver. Great to be with you on this Monday to start your week, start our week in general. Uh, a lot of sports, a lot, a lot of sports to talk about, okay? So a couple of NFL topics, both kind of residing in the AFC with two teams that used to be powerhouses. One of them happens to be my own team. And are kind of in quarterback and offense hell right now, although one of the stories revolves around a guy who doesn't coach anymore for the moment. Uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers reportedly are making a quarterback decision. And it's not between Justin Fields or Russell Wilson. It's between Kenny Pickett or Mason Rudolph. I'll give you my thoughts about that uh, later in the show about a uh, half hour from now or so. Also, Jimmy Johnson had an interesting quote, the Hall of Fame head coach, Jimmy Johnson, shout out to him, about Bill Belichick and an admission that, according to him, Belichick made when he visited him recently about something that he would not do in regards to having power within the organization and sort of give a little bit of it back to the owner or to a potential GM, and I still wouldn't hire him. Regardless, whether he has the power or not, I'll discuss that in about 45 minutes or so. Also, it is President's Day. Happy President's Day to everybody out there. I, I don't know if some people may have had the, the day off or not, but to discuss that, I'm going to give you five athletes, five athletes. Let me adjust my camera here. Five athletes that I believe would make potentially solid presents. I'm not talking about their politics or any of that. Let's keep it civil, okay? But individuals, I think, have the qualities that could be become a good president within the, the world of sports. I'll discuss that. Uh, also, second, to, uh, second topic, LeBron James discussing his future and what's up to come, what's to come for him. And some telling quotes that I think there's a couple things he said there that I completely disagree with. I'll discuss that in about 15 to 20 minutes. But first, so... There's a lot of outrage about All-Star Weekend, particularly the All-Star Game last night in which the Eastern Conference throttled the Western Conference by a final score, and I'm not kidding when I say this, of 211 to 186. That's the most points that's ever been scored in an All-Star Game, almost 400 points combined between the two squads. And let me give a good analogy, because, or the best analogy I can, because I'm seeing a lot of... Uh, pushback and criticism aimed toward the players. Ah, they don't play the game as hard as they used to in the All-Star game. And ah, these guys, they just aren't that competitive. The pushback is being directed in the wrong direction. I'll explain to you like this. Say you are one of the best students in a particular region. Say you go to school, you, 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 you turn your assignments on time, you get A+, plus, straight A's across the board, and you are named one of the best students in your particular region. First of all, congratulations. Second of all, let's say that the higher-ups, uh, those in charge, say, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to get the top 15 students uh, fr from this, from a particular region within your state, wherever you reside and live, get the top 15 students, put them in a classroom, and have them take a test. Now, mind you, the test does not impact their GPA. The test does not impact their ability to get into their school of choice. All it is is, hey, let's just see who the best student is. What the heck? It doesn't impact the GPA. It doesn't impact when they go to school. I don't know. I'm going to go out on a limb and say the students probably aren't going to cram in study and go all in like it's a final at the end of the semester or something. And my guess is maybe the test scores, maybe they don't look that great. Maybe they're below the level that we would expect from such a great student. 
Well, if the professor or the proctor, whoever's over the test, the higher ups, come back and say, the heck kind of performance was that? You would be well within your rights to respond and say, you told me it didn't mean anything. You told me it didn't impact my ability in the, in, in the college of choice or my GPA. It was just, well, let's just see who the best, uh, best student is. Uh, just throw it out there. That's the NBA All-Star game. Obviously, we know these guys are great. They wouldn't be in the All-Star game if they were not great. There's a number of factors at play and at work in regards to the issues with the All-Star game. Um, and I'll give you my three ways that I think the game that Adam Silver can fix the All-Star game and All-Star weekend in general um, in about five to ten minutes or so. But stay with me on why the, the pushback is is in the wrong direction right now with the players. So first of all, there's that, okay? What is their incentive? What is their incentive? And it goes back to, I think in many ways, ring culture. Because we talked about in the regular season and the and the gripe with guys not going on in the regular season, low management, sitting out back-to-backs. That, you know, uh, uh, issue that fans have with players, I absolutely got. Absolutely got. I'm going to pay my hard-earned money, you know, bring my family to the game, maybe go to one, max two games a year. We want to see our favorite player for our team or maybe for the road team if LeBron or Steph or somebody or Luca's in town. We want to see them and they're sitting out the game due to load management. That's a perfectly legitimate claim from the fans. And so Adam Silver sit back and said, okay, we are going to punish the players that do this with the 65-game threshold that you need to reach in order to qualify for awards. MVP, uh, you know, you know, first-team All-NBA, things that bring in incentive, bring in money. Heck, help your legacy as you get older in your career, once you get into your 30s, your mid-30s or so. Once there was incentive, the players, by and large, I'm not, I'm not going to lie to you. I haven't seen that much load management this year. I really haven't. And if so, it's been pretty much under wraps for the most part. Um, and so they changed how guys get, get, get awards. And, but I, what I mean by ring culture, though, coming back to that, circling around to that, is that if a guy is amazing, let's take Joel Embiid, for example. Joel Embiid is one of the five most productive basketball players on planet Earth when healthy. He's a league MVP. He's a back-to-back scoring champion. He's one of the great defensive players on the floor. Man went for 70 at one point this year against the Spurs. Now I know the Spurs suck on defense, but 70-70, okay? Props to him. An efficient 70 nonetheless. Guys like myself, and I can be guilty of this, sit up there and said, yeah, what's going to do in the playoffs, Joel? And guys like Joel and guys who haven't won anything hear this are like, Okay, if there's nothing I can do in the regular season to help my legacy or to help how people perceive me, then why in God's name would I go all out in the regular season? Let me just kind of save my gas, save my energy. Now there's science that proves that that's not the case. But nonetheless, you understand what the players are thinking. Let me go all out for two months from April to June and change the perception about me. Jokic just did that last summer. He just did that last summer, okay? And I'm hearing too. Well, guys just aren't as competitive competitive as they used to be. You know, back in the days with with Michael and Chuck, and you know, way back in the days with Kareem and Magic and Bird, guys were going all out in the All Star game. These guys today, man, they're they're not playing any defense. You got these wide open driving lanes. Guys just shooting a million threes, and uh, they're just not that competitive. And the guys back then were. That is correct. But look a little deeper into that. 
Why were the guys in the old days, um, 20, 30, 40 years ago, why were they competing in the All-Star game? I'll tell you exactly why. Because oftentimes the All-Star game was one of the biggest markets, one of the biggest ways to boost your brand. Right, it was a great, like oftentimes you'll see guys come out with their own signature shoe around All-Star break and debut it and show it off at All-Star weekend, wherever the host, excuse me, wherever the host city is, right? And they'll wear it during the game and they'll run an advertisement for it, like the whole bit. Guys needed that, that back then. And so they want to market it in the best way they can. There was no Twitter. There was no Instagram. There was no TikTok. There was no YouTube, which is where the majority of the NBA audience comes from. So the guys today... They don't need that. Yes, the fact that they are more financially compensated today more than they were back in back in the old days. Sure, that absolutely factors, but there's more exposure for these guys now than more than now more than ever. See, back in the day, they didn't have League Pass. So when you were on national TV, you were on ESPN or you were on NBC or ABC or CBS, one of the major networks, man, you had to show up and show out. Now, nowadays, whether it's a prime time game or not, it's kind of irrelevant because we have League Pass. We can watch the game from our, we can watch every game of the season if we wanted to from our couches or sports bar, wherever. Guys needed the All Star game back then. They don't need it now because the world has changed. Social media has come into the picture. It matters. So when the players are told anything you do prior to April and post June is irrelevant, does not matter. Are you shocked that you get what you get? Okay. And what's great too is there is a way to fix it. I will discuss that in just a second. But we have clear and obvious evidence that when there's something out there that the fans or the media or otherwise, heck, at times the league tells us the audience or, or the players in general, hey, this really doesn't matter that much. And then they turn that into, we're going to make it matter. We're going to give you compensation. We're going to give you a sense of urgency, a reason to play. All of a sudden, you get a better product. You know what it's called? It's called the in-season tournament. Adam Silver and the NBA debuted it last November, ran through early December. It was a smash hit. It was a slam dunk, to use a basketball term. Ratings were up. Competitive fervor was a thousand times up. And the reason I say that, you know, there's many voices in the NBA that matter, none more so than the king himself, LeBron James. Take a listen to what LeBron James said about the new in-season tournament when guys were going all out like it was playoff games. Take a listen to what LeBron said back in December about the in-season tournament and tell me if this couldn't apply to the All-Star game. What you got for me, LeBron? Um, well, um, like I said in my post uh, on, on, on the floor, um, I mean, you got some of the most alpha male competitors in the world. And if you give us an opportunity to play for something, something meaningful, um, with an incentive, then you'll get what you're getting. Um, so, um, and I know the competitive nature of myself. I know the competitive nature of this guy next to me and our DNA that we're trying to build for this team. So <clears throat> um, the end season tournament is what it is. And we have an opportunity to, you know, play on a uh, big stage, be on national television, be able to represent our families and represent our, our cities. Give the guys a reason to play and they'll play. It's that simple. It is. It's really, it's, it's, it's not that hard of a concept. By the way, shake things up a little bit. 
the fact that, and I love Adam Silver. I think he's an outstanding commissioner. But the whole, let's bring the East versus West format back in. And let's get rid of, I, I wasn't aware that they were, that's on me on Friday. I apologize for, for mis, in, in, misinforming the audience. I assume the Kobe Bryant rules, the target score of whatever the leading score was, plus 24 to honor Kobe. I thought that was still in play. That's gone now. So the Kobe target score, an untimed fourth quarter, along with East versus West, as if that even matters anymore, that's going backwards is not the way to fix the all-star game. I hope Adam Silver, who's a very progressive commissioner, is willing to change if things don't work. I, I, I don't know what he was thinking on that one. Hey, listen, we all swing and miss. Even the best ones do. But th that was a swing and miss by Adam Silver. And I rarely bring comments. And I love answering comments in between segments. I rarely bring comments into a segment. But this applies, okay? Blue City Empire Sports ask. What's your opinion on Steph Curry versus Sabrina in the All-Star game? Yes, the Steph-Sabrina three-point shooting contest was awesome. The greatest shooter ever, the best shooter in the WNBA, well, for another few months if Caitlin Clark decides to join, but Sabrina's still phenomenal. Go at it. You got a cross-league sort of sort of experience. It was close. It was down to the wire. Both, uh, both individuals, Steph and Sabrina, were all in on it. There was compensation. There were... And he got the best of the best. Competing at the very highest level. Shake things up a little bit. That's what we did at the end-season tournament. Guess what? It's a hit. That's what Adam Silver did with the play-in tournament. Guess what? It was a hit. The bubble. Bubble's a wild idea at the time it was conceived. It was a slam dunk, to use that term again. It was, it was phenomenal. Couldn't have worked better for the NBA. No COVID cases. It was great. Adam Silver's often been the commissioner of shaking things up. The All-Star game needs that. And I, wait, listen, we are not a show. Carving it up is not a show where we just complain about the issue. Oh, this is terrible. What's the solutions? Anybody can give me the problem. What's the solution? I got three, okay? I got three solutions. And the first one is hold the game in major markets. I mean, I mean, no offense to the good men and women and children of Indiana, of Indianapolis. We don't need, we don't need basketball games, all-star games in Indianapolis. Just like we don't need all-star games like we had last year in Salt Lake City. We need them in L.A., and Miami, and Philadelphia, and San Francisco, and Dallas, and Houston, and Atlanta, and Chicago. Big, major market cities. Cities where free agents tend to go. Star free agents tend to go. They go to Los Angeles, particularly with the Lakers, although the Clippers, you know, did get Kawhi and Paul George. They go to the Miami Heat. They go to the Golden State Warriors. They go to the Philadelphia 76ers and the Dallas Mavericks. They don't go to the Indiana Pacers. They don't go to the Utah Jazz. I mean, for crying out loud, the All-Star game, I, I wrote a report saying the All-Star game within the next few years is going to be in Milwaukee. Nobody goes to Milwaukee. Milwaukee's two best players. Giannis was drafted. Lillard was tra traded for. Drew Holiday before that. Their second best player before that, he was traded for as well. We don't need it in small markets. The NFL does not have Super Bowls, by and large, in small markets. The one year they had in a small market, Jacksonville, was a disaster for a number of reasons due to capacity and, and, and all that. Have the game in major markets, okay? We need it in big, flashy cities, not in small markets. The second thing is, from a compensation standpoint, $500,000 each for the each player on the winning team. Listen, we, we may sit there and think, ah, you know, what's $500,000 going to do for, for Steph Curry or for Jason Tatum or Kevin Durant or certainly LeBron. LeBron is a billionaire after all. 
I don't know, $500,000. Listen, to us, it's like, oh my gosh, but to NBA players, it's not that, but $500,000 is still $500,000. And by the way, that's what the winning team, which happened to be the Lakers in December, got for winning the end season tournament. $500K a piece, especially for the, the guys, the younger guys that team, maybe the guys don't get in a lot of playing time. $500,000 is a lot of money. Compensate the players. Give them a reason to play. And if you want to really intensify it, the heck with this East-West nonsense. How about this? Last thing to fix the All-Star game, Team U.S. versus Team World. The best All-Stars for the United States versus the best international stars. So for the U.S., we're talking LeBron and Steph and KD and Jason Tatum and all those guys. And for the Team World, you got Jokic and Luka and Giannis. You got some super duper stars on both sides. And there's a little bit of an Olympic feel to it, right? Like we don't have to wait every four years for the Olympics. We're, we're pulling for Team USA here domestically against the world's competition. If we can see that every year, there's just a surprise that comes for that. Or comes with that. Either you got one side that's playing for their country, the NBA, it's, it's, it's this North American brand. We're playing for America, USA. And then you got the other side like, hey, U.S., you gave us our opportunity, but we're going to represent the world. There's a different level of pride that comes to that. So those three things, put them back up there, okay? Three things to fix the All-Star game. Hold the game in major markets. Enough with Indianapolis and Salt Lake City. I mean, no offense to those good men and women and children and hardworking people there. We need it in L.A. We need it in Miami and Dallas and San Francisco and Chicago and Atlanta and Philadelphia. We don't need it in small markets. The second thing is compensate the players for crying out loud. $500,000 for the winning team. Give them a reason to show up. And lastly, I think most importantly, Team U.S. versus Team World. National versus international. You insert those things, bam. You got a fixed all-star game. But I don't like how the blame is going on the players when the players are simply doing what the narratives have asked them to do, which is we don't really care what you do post or pre-April and post-June, that kind of two-month bubble in between, that's that's what all the marbles are for. And it's not like it's all it's always been that way, but more pronounced now with social media and the toxicity that Twitter can cause. Fans, media have told us for years, also game didn't matter. Players finally caught on. Change those three components of it though. You got yourself a product. All right. Uh, I got some comments up in here. Uh, okay, Ryan Flowers. I just My, my man Ryan, shouts Ryan. I do disagree with him here, though. The problem is the players. They just aren't that competitive uh, anymore. Uh, he did say the Steph and Sabrina thing was decent. They can't do it every year. Well, they can do it every year, but I, I think I would like to see Steph and Dame versus Sabrina and Caitlin Clark, assuming, heck, you know what? Even if Caitlin Clark doesn't go to the WNBA, bring her. Of course, she, she'll be midseason at Iowa. That'll be tough. Um, yeah, okay. So whenever Caitlin Clark enters the WNBA, you could do that. Um, he said, this generation has lost the feeling of honor, plain and simple. Well, here you go. And, and Brian says, I would love the idea. I would be interested in the idea of U.S. versus world. Uh, again, but Ryan, I, I don't think the whole – let me put, put up your comments here. Um, this generation has lost the feeling of honor, plain and simple. But why did they have it? Or did they ever have it? The All-Star game decades ago was about, I'm here promoting my brand. And guys don't need that anymore. They got social media. They got Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube. Guys, for Michael Jordan, the All-Star game was a freaking cash cow. 
It was a cash cow. You got the Jordan shoes, debut the new shoes, uh, you know, showing out there that the, the Jays and, and and the young kids see it. And in case of Bird and Magic, NBA was a growing brand. It was still the '70s was a disastrous decade for the NBA. Bird and Magic were saving the league. They needed to bring a level of legitimacy to it. Now fans tell you the All Star Game doesn't matter. So why are the players cheering it like it matters? Add these rules though, you got a game that matters. Uh, <laughs> Barry, why are you not mentioning New York? What's wrong with you? Uh, my bad. Okay. New York City. It doesn't get that much bigger than that. I apologize, Barry. I apologize. New York does it. Madison Square Garden. Heck, Barclays Center. Preferably MSG, but Barclays would be nice too. They hold the draft there every year anyway. Um, What do we got? What do we got? Uh, Yeah, Ryan says maybe um, mix the women in with the men. I- I'm for that. I'm absolutely for that. I mean, let me tell you something. When Sabrina, those first like couple racks... She went, I think, she go nine for ten or something. I'm like, I, I'm as, as a guy, and I love Sabrina. I've been a fan of her since her days at Oregon. But I, as a guy brooding for Steph, I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> she she may win this thing. And then she started cool off there toward the end. Then Steph, I mean, did what Steph does. Um, but that was fun. That, that Like, they need to do that again next year. Um, and by the way, add a second round. I, I need to see more rounds of that. He said Kobe and Jordan would go at it because they had incentive to go at it, Ryan. They they had a reason to go at it. If I prom I promise you, ins- Kobe may have gone at it. Kobe may insert Michael and every other great player that's ever laced him up into today's league with today's lack of incentives, with today's accessibility through social media and otherwise. They're not going at it that hard. They're just not. You're 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 gonna tell me, not you, Ryan, just you, the audience. So you you in general, you the general you. You're, listen, LeBron's year 21. He's not going to treat the All-Star game that seriously because he's freaking 40 years old. I, I think if we need a, an All-Star game to prove, hey, LeBron's competitive, yeah, I think we've lost the point. But you're telling me that Steph, Steph Curry, one of the best we've ever seen, Kevin Durant, Giannis, dude's built like a Greek god, okay? And Jokic and all these guys. You're telling me they just, yeah, they're just not that competitive. Steph, a four-time champion, Giannis, a Multi-time MVP, defensive player of the year. Defensive player of the year. You got to put an effort on that side of the floor, man. You, you got to go all out in order to win that award. Um, Anthony Davis, by the way, should have won in 2018. AD's probably going to win this year, defensive player of the year. Yeah, it's just not that competitive. I didn't care about that much. I don't know. I begged to do By the way, insert today's players into, in, into the previous times where they didn't have social media. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, they'd be going at it. Insert previous players into today. Yeah, I don't care about that much. Kobe would have. I'll, I'll give you that, my, uh, Ryan. Kobe probably would because Kobe was just wired differently than everybody else. Um, so there you go. So, uh, yeah, I, I just think that... I'm, listen, I'm not going to say the players are blameless, but I think when you're told, you as in the players, I think when you're told something for years and years straight and they see social media and it's... Ring, you ain't you haven't done nothing yet. Ring, ring. Can you do this for me? Did the postseason, postseason, playoffs, playoffs. Don't care what you did in the regular season. Da, da, da. You tell me the all-star game's gonna matter to them. If you keep telling them that, they're not gonna care that much about it. And again, even so, even that aside, they don't need that that weekend break in mid-February to promote their brand. That's what social media is for. You know, they've got that now. I mean, listen, it, it sucks for the for the previous generation that they didn't have. It really does. Um, like, some of it literally is just a luck of when you were born. Um, and future generations, 20 years from now, are going to have even more incentives 
now from the NBA and, and, and from other endorsement companies. I mean, LeBron James, the billionaire, that ain't all come from the NBA. It's Nike, there's other endorsements, business dealings. So there you go. But again, there are solutions to fix it. I ain't Team US versus Team World. I'd love to see it. Yeah, you know, I, like, I, like I am, like me personally, I am juiced for the Olympics this year. I, I cannot wait for a number of reasons, all the sports, but basketball primarily. Man, I want to see Steph, LeBron, KD, because those three, like those, Steph and LeBron are to me still the faces of the league. KD's not too far off. Uh, he's an all-time great, still dropping 30 in year 17, which is crazy. Uh, you know, I, I want to see those guys go at Jokic and Giannis, some of the best players in the world. Like, I cannot wait to see that in Paris this summer. If you could get that in the All-Star game annually, oh, man. But this East, and I love Commissioner Silver. Then I'll move on to LeBron topic. I love Adam Silver. I think he's the best commissioner in sports. I think Goodell's fantastic. I think Silver's better. But uh, that was a swing and a miss. The East-West, as if that was going to change anything. Uh, like it, the East and West doesn't even really have a, a rivalry. I mean, it's just, it really doesn't. Um, and by the way, and then I, I swear I'll move on to LeBron topic, but I didn't want to address this because this just popped in my head. I've heard, because a lot of people have suggested solutions. Hey, how do we fix this? And one I've heard for a lot of from a lot of pundits and media out there is, well, let's make the All-Star game result East versus West. Let's keep it East versus West. And the winner, say the Eastern Conference, like the Eastern Conference beat the Western Conference yesterday. So let's institute a rule where East wins yesterday, and so the Eastern Conference champion gets home court in the NBA Finals. I absolutely, positively despise, detest, hate, all the hate word. Hate, I don't hate a lot of things. I hate that idea. They used that in baseball for the longest time. Thank God they got rid of it. And by the way, the baseball game isn't that all-star game isn't that good now. They need to institute incentives for that. All NBA all-star game is worse. It needs more fixes. But that was a horror. So if you have... If you have a 45-win Eastern Conference champion against a 62-win Western Conference champion, you're telling me the Eastern Conference gets home court? Like, that That to me is, that makes the regular season even more irrelevant. So it's like, you're telling me we bust, not that the 45-win team didn't bust their butts too, but one team bust their butts, got 62, the other got 45. If we get 62 wins and we don't get home court in the finals, we got to start in the road? Are you kidding me? Because some guy from a couple of guys from ninth and eighth and ninth place teams screwed it up for us. No, that, I think that's a horrible idea. Horrible idea. U.S. versus U.S. versus world. That'll 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 take the game place. I'm telling you right now. All right. From the All Star game, and I hope the commissioner is watching and listening. From the All Star game to well, we're still kind of at the All Star game to LeBron James. So LeBron had a pre-game press conference, I guess you could call it. Uh, talking uh, to the media, answering a number of questions regarding the Lakers, where he's at. LeBron is, after all, listen, he is a freak, but Father Time is under undefeated. The Father Time will eventually beat LeBron James. He was in a heck of a battle with Brady, finally got the edge on him because he's going to get the edge on all of us. He'll get LeBron eventually, but he's in a dogfight with him right now. But LeBron was talking to the media about his future, what's next for him, and he was asked a question regarding if he wants to finish his career with the team he's with currently, which is obviously the Lakers, and this is what LeBron had to say uh, last night. Um, I have not mapped out how many seasons I have left. Um, I know it's not that many. Um, I also don't know if I will. I was asked this question a couple of days ago. Will you kind of take the farewell tour, or will you kind of just Tim Duncan it? I'm 50-50. Um, I'm going to be honest because there's times where I feel like 
I guess I owe it to my fans that's been along this journey with me for two decades plus to be able to give them that moment, you know, where it's every city and whatever the case may be, and, you know, they give you your flowers, whatever the case may be, you know, and, and that seems cool. Um, but the other side of, I've never been that great with um, accepting like praise. I've, it's, a, it's a weird feeling for me. Um, I never really talked about it much, but it's just a weird feeling for me. So to, to go in each city, if that's the case, I don't know. I've seen, I've seen Mike's, I've seen Kobe's, I've seen a lot of guys. Um, I just don't know how much I, how I feel. I don't know if I would feel great about it. Maybe the only child in me, maybe, but, um, but I don't know. Um, but I am a Laker and, uh, I am I'm happy and been very happy being a Laker the last six years. And, uh, and hopefully it stays that way. Okay. So first of all, I, and I, I'm a massive LeBron fan. I think he's the greatest basketball player ever. We can debate that another day. He is tripping. <laughs> he's, he's tripping on one thing, especially. And I, I'm a LeBron guy. Love LeBron. He is tripping on the whole. I don't take praise that well. Bron, come on now. Come, come on now. And by the way, I'm not necessarily criticizing it for it. I'm, I'm not. Uh, we're all wired differently. But I don't think LeBron is uncomfortable when individuals like myself or people who are in hot, much higher place than myself are like, you're the greatest ever. That you the, You're the greatest player that's ever touched a basketball. I don't think that makes LeBron uncomfortable. It, LeBron is a, I think in his personal life, I, I don't know the man. I think his personal life is a private guy. I think outside of Bronny's USC career, I think he tries to keep everything mostly internal, in-house. He's got a tight circle with clutch sports, with we know we all know about the banana boat with Dwayne Wade, Carmelo Anthony, and Chris Paul, like mostly in a tight inner circle. But again, when you're LeBron James, when you're Taylor Swift, when you're Beyonce, when you're the president of the United States, there's only so much privacy that you you can have, but that's just how it works. When you reach a level or Cristiano Ronaldo, or Messi, when you reach a level of fame that great, there's only so much you can keep to yourself. So do I think LeBron is a guy like, Hey, bring it in, bring all the attention. I love all that. No, but I also don't think he's Tim Duncan where he's like, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't want none of that. I don't want none of that. I don't want that. No, no, no. Like Tim, Tim was the ultimate private guy. That's, I don't think that's LeBron either. I think LeBron does enjoy the spotlight. I do think LeBron, respects what the spotlight means in terms of the platform it gives him and how he can use that to to help a lot of people. We know it about his charitable um, and social efforts. And so, but I, I he's he's tripping on that um, about the, I don't take praise that. It's, it's, it's by the way, that's okay. If, if Le, there's another one with LeBron coming out admitting, yeah, I love it. I, I would defend him if he said that. The second thing that I think he's off on is when he said some, something earlier about how somebody had asked him the other day about if he would do the Kobe Bryant farewell tour, which we know Kobe, God rest his soul, did in 2015 and 16, and or what Tim Duncan did, which happy Tim Duncan's last season, Kobe's last season happened to coincide 2015-16. Kobe had a retirement tour the whole season. Uh, Duncan, Spurs won 67 games that year, got bounced by OKC in the second round, and Tim Duncan said, uh, you know, Duncan out. You know, he, he was like just early in the offseason. It was just, oh, Tim Duncan retired. It was like, well, okay, there you go. Like that's about what we have, we, we would have expected from Tim. 
You know, like that, that it kind of felt that way where it was Kobe, where it was Kobe's this glamorous figure from Los Angeles, entertainment capital of the world and five championships, Lakers, purple and gold. It felt like, okay, Kobe needs a, a, a farewell tour to end his career. Like it felt right now, obviously he culminated in the greatest farewell game we've ever seen in our lives. The 60 point game against the Utah jazz. And so I think LeBron will absolutely have uh, a farewell tour. And there's, by the way, there's nothing wrong with that. Derek Jeter had a farewell tour. Big Poppy had a farewell tour. You know, a lot of guys have done it. There, there, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, I just wish he'd come out and mip, <laughs> mip both those things. Like LeBron tends to be a guy who is not scared to tell you exactly what he thinks about his abilities and what he's able to do. So I'm surprised he was as reserved as he was. Like I usually, because my I, I talked about this last uh, Monday after the Super Bowl, uh, to my Travis Kelsey, and it's sort of a different discussion, but it definitely applies here, where we, I don't think fans do, but the media certainly does. The media gets mad at guys for giving cliche Bill Belichick on to Cincinnati, more on Bill Belichick later in the show, uh, answers cliche on to the next one. We're going to turn the page. We're going to focus on this week. We're on to cliche this cliche that they get mad at that but they also get mad at yeah i think i'm awesome i think i'm one of the best athletes on planet earth so my thing is i would much rather have this is me personally i would much rather have honest arrogance rather than false humility like god bless andrew luck but andrew luck would never Ever take the credit for wins? Ever? Like he could play, he could throw for five hundred yards, five touchdowns. Uh, you know, I think the defense played really well. The offensive line did a good job. It's like, dude, I saw that you got you got the crap beat out of you this game. Your receivers couldn't separate. You were just throwing dots out there. You could take a little credit, okay? So that tends to be LeBron in terms of as far as like LeBron has said multiple times, "I'm the greatest basketball player ever." He said that multiple occasions. Which whether you agree or disagree. And for years, I was like, ah, I still got Michael, the scoring record for me, put LeBron on top. But I was like, hey, you know, I love it. I want you to have that confidence. Like Steph Curry last summer said, yeah, I think I'm the greatest point guard ever. Now, as of right now, as of right now, I disagree. I still got magic above Steph. But is he out of his mind to feel that way about himself? No. So I want LeBron to be honest there. But as for his future, as for what he was discussing in that bite, I think if LeBron is still in the business of competing for championships, I think he's with the wrong team to do it. Not for this year, because I've said on multiple occasions, even with the ups and the downs, I don't care that they're the nine seed. I don't care that they're the nine seed. That Lakers team's a championship contender. This same roster, minus some of the pieces they have now, and I think they're better now, um, in large part because of AD's growth, but this same roster last year knocked off the two-seed Grizzlies, the defending champion Warriors, and yes, they got swept by Denver. I understand that. But minimum, minimum two of those games could have gone a different way. At least three. Game three, Denver just kind of outplayed the Lakers. Lakers kept somewhat close, but Denver was the better team. Games one and definitely two and four could have went either way. And that could have been a diff uh, different series. Maybe the Lakers, maybe they go on to win the championship. Who knows? So they, I think the Lakers can win the championship this year. I absolutely do. But beyond this year, is AD going to get healthier? Are we sure Austin Reeves hasn't hit his ceiling? Is Darvin Ham 
the guy to lead the Lakers to multiple Western Conference Finals appearances and potentially a finals or two. And LeBron at that point would be in year 22, at least we're talking about next year. I don't see that as an opportunity where LeBron's like, okay, for the love of I'm in year 22, I'm going to be 40 freaking years old in a battle with Father Time, and you're still relying on me to be the best player to lead a team to a championship with a dysfunctional front office, a bad front office, all things considered. 80s getting older. Darvin Ham is a bad head coach. Austin Reeves, third best player. Feel like he's kind of hit a ceiling. I get from a brand perspective, there's no better city for an athlete to be in than, than Los Angeles. Why do you think Shohei Otani went to the Dodgers? Yes, the Dodgers are a very well-run well operation. Yes, they have a lot of money. But the glitz and the glamour of LA don't exactly hurt. Okay, like it's, like when I was here, and it's Shohei Otani's between the Dodgers and the Blue Jays. I'm like, nothing against Canada. The heck is, what, what the heck is Toronto going to provide more than Los Angeles except for more expensive taxes? So I, I think the, the the lights and the glitz and the glamour of Los Angeles play right into what, in LeBron. He's the biggest star in the league still, him and Steph are. And he plays in the in, in the biggest entertainment capital in the world. Uh, you know, the most, I don't know if I want to say important, but you know, one of the biggest. So why not from a business perspective? But if LeBron is still in the, in, in the business of competing for championships, which I believe him to be, which, I mean, why else is he putting in the, the, the amount of time on his body? Why else is he putting in the effort necessary to, in year 21, averaging 25 a game on over 50% shooting? Having one of his best three-point shooting seasons of his career, by the way, as well. This Lakers team, I think, could compete for a championship. Next year, LeBron's a year older. AD, we know him to be a bit physically fragile at times. He'll be a year older. Darvin Ham's still there. Austin Reese feel like he's hit a ceiling. It's like you're going to be having to rely on a lot of vet minimum guys to give you more than what they're probably capable of giving you. Philly could use LeBron. Golden State could kind of use LeBron. Go Warriors. Um, Cleveland. Add LeBron to that Cavs team. Cavs are playing great basketball as of late. Add him with Donovan Mitchell and Mobley and Garland. That's a heck of a team right there. A team where LeBron does not have to carry the load. He doesn't have to necessarily have to carry the load right now, but if AD has a couple bad nights, and AD, I don't want to be too hard on Anthony Davis because this has been one of the best stretches of basketball I've ever seen from him. He's been fantastic. I mean, he's, he's the unanimous defensive player of the year. AD's been fantastic. But we know come playoff time, there's a reason, and I will use the gift today. I will use the gift uh, today. There's a reason I call him Coin Flip Davis. Heads, he'll, he's great. Tails, he's awful. It can be a little dicey from time to time. You never know what you're going to get from Anthony Davis. Um, and if LeBron's asked to kind of carry that load, is that sustainable? And could that shorten his career to a certain degree, given his advanced age and stage of his career? There's a lot of teams that are on the bubble, on the fringes, and teams that are straight up in title contention that add LeBron, bam, we're the favorites. Philadelphia, the Knicks, by the way. Oh my goodness, you had LeBron with Brunson. Julius Randle's had a great year, and Thibodeau as a head coach, Dante DiVincenzo is ball. Watch out for the Knicks. And LeBron, by the way, New York from a business perspective isn't quite LA, but it is New York. I mean, come on. It's, it's, what if Sinatra say? If you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. LeBron certainly more than made it, obviously, but Madison Square Garden. Oh my gosh. I hope, I'm, I'm, listen, I'm hoping for a potential. I'm still holding out hope he goes to Golden State someday. Um, I still think it's in the cards, by the way, this offseason, given the reports we got last week. But 
the Knicks would be an ideal fit. The Sixers would work. The Cavs would be absolutely, absolutely be a title contender if they added LeBron or brought him back. I still think the Lakers is that sustainable. I don't. It's not a well-run front office. It's a, a very limited head coach in Darvin Ham. I just don't think it works long-term. I really don't. Um, but LeBron will have a Kobe-like retirement tour. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing. LeBron, you, you've accomplished enough. You don't have to kind of, oh, shucks, I don't know. No, 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 no. You the king, man. I mean, listen, it, you know, pregame, he does this where he puts the the the, the crown on. I'm like, yes, that's what I want to see. He's the king. He got it tattered on his back when he's a teenager. That's the LeBron I want to see. I don't want to see the false, not humble, the falsely humble LeBron where it's like, oh, I mean, you know, you never know what could happen. Listen, I, I here's one thing I do know for sure. LeBron doesn't know when it's when it's over. It could be this year for all we know. Could be next year, year after that. We're not, we're not aware. We're not certain of what that could be. Um but yeah, and he's also tripping on the I don't take to praise very well. It's it's there's nothing wrong with that, LeBron. Just come out and say it. I I, I would defend you for it. Um, so there you go. I don't know. I, I just I, I don't think the Lakers is a long term fit. I think they're a title contender this year, but a year from now, uh, uh, never know. Uh <laughs> Barry Grant Jr., Lakers fan, by the way, and LeBron fan. Can you please talk about Stephen A. Smith? We name dropping now. Blaming Braun for the decline of the slam dunk contest. I'm sick of this guy. I saw that today. That's crazy. That is, and Stephen A. is, is, a, is, is a legend. But that is wild. Because um, basically, Steve, for those who didn't catch it, Stephen A. on first take today said that, um, Basically, that because LeBron never competed in a dunk contest, not now, because listen, LeBron's so great, he's not the athlete, the athletic freak he used to be. But 10, 15 years ago, because LeBron didn't compete, all of a sudden that delegitimized the dunk contest, and that's why stars are not in it. Huh? huh? What? Listen, did Michael Jordan help the dunk contest? Of course. But I don't think, listen. You ever heard of Vince Carter? <laughs> you know, was Vince Carter a, I don't know where it, he could be a Hall of Famer, French Hall of Famer. Vince Carter wasn't a superstar. But the dude could jump from here to the moon. That's why well, That's why. That's why the dunk contest was so popular. You had Vince Carter. You had Dominique Wilkins. You did have Michael Jordan. You Could LeBron have competed? Sure, but he, just because he didn't, I don't all of a sudden, well, you know, LeBron never competed in a dunk contest. That's why he doesn't beat Jordan. That's a, that's a, if that's your case, man, that's a pretty weak one. I'm not going to lie. Uh, that's that. That's a wild take, though. Um, I'll tell you this, though. I ain't the dunk contest. I got your perfect dunk contest next year, okay? Got it right here. Get Matt McClung, bring him back, go for the three-peat. You got um, John Morant, if, you know, knock on wood, if John's healthy, John Morant, Anthony Edwards, and Shaden Sharp. Now, some of y'all may not know who Shaden Sharp is. Most people don't. Young kid who plays the Portland Trail Blazers, and a freak athlete. And he was he actually he was going to be in the dunk contest last year, but he suffered an injury, so he wasn't able to participate. That's a dunk contest. And by the way, it's all guards too, so I think that works. Uh, Barry Kobe was in the '97 dunk contest and never went back. WTF? Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, I forgot about Kobe in '97. That was his rookie year too. It's it's I I don't get that take. Listen. We can, if you want to make your LeBron, Jordan, GOAT discussion, debate, comparison, whatever. I, listen, 
I, I wouldn't recommend you using that as the, yep, that's that's why Jordan surpassed him right there. Yep, done contest. Boom, easy, done. That's, that's, the, that's, that's, that's way off on that. Stephen A's great, but he's, he's, he's way off on that. Not even, that's not even close to the, to the, to the point. And again, a lot of the, the issues with the dunk contest are the reason that the all-star games dealing with that I talked about earlier, where because there really isn't an incentive, which I, I look at the dunk contest a little differently than I do the all-star game. Cause the dunk contest is like the three point contest. It's just you and the basket. It's like that. That's an opportunity. That's why Matt McClung's in it. There's incentive for Matt McClung. It's, he's a G leaguer. What, what's he got to lose? And Matt McClung was a freak. Listen, I saw the kid, and I never saw him in person, but I saw the kid in high school. Um, it was unbelievable uh, in terms of uh, of getting up there. Kids got bunnies, but uh, there's incentive for Matt McClung. And, and props to Jalen Brown for competing in it. Uh, Jalen Brown, that was they robbed. Them judges on Saturday night, they flat out robbed Jacob Toppin of being in the final round. I mean, I predicted McClung versus Jalen Brown in the final. Jalen Brown did not deserve to be. That should have been Jacob Toppin versus Matt McClung. That was wild. They robbed my man. That was crazy. Uh, didn't like that at all. But anyways, shifting though to the National Football, we talked about a lot about All-Star Weekend. Um, LeBron and the issues of the All-Star game and solutions to it. Let's talk about my Pittsburgh Steelers. And I almost threw up in my mouth when I saw a recent, support, uh, recent article from the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette that talked about how, this is, this is from the article, quote, there appears to be some internal division that maybe Mason Rudolph should be the starter since he played so well down the stretch as the team made the playoffs. And the article goes on to detail how... <sighs> The organization is deciding, in terms of who the quarterback for 2024 is going to be, between Kenny Pickett and Mason Rudolph. I'm starting to wonder if this organization knows that the, the objective in football is to stop the other team from scoring as much as possible. And Pittsburgh is great with that. They've always had great defenses. They do now. But on the other side of the coin, they're also supposed to try and score. I thought that was the objective. And by the way, their drafting has reflected that. They've drafted George Pickens. Monster. Najee Harris. Thousand-yard guy. Jalen Warren. This, listen, if this kid can reach his full potential, look out. This Jalen Warren kid is something. Deontay Johnson. Nice number two. Pat Fryermuth. Good possession tight end. O-line got better. Translation, the defense is awesome. That T.J. Watt guy robbed a defensive player of the year, but nonetheless, defense is awesome. The offense is stacked with talent, with young talent at least. They haven't reached their full potential, but young talent, tons of promise. And the decision on whether who can get this team to the next level, is it Kenny Pickett or is it Mason Rudolph? Now, in a lot of these quarterback discussions, should X team move on from X quarterback? Offense or coach, quarterback coach. That's usually where these discussions come from. My response tends to be, well, what are your, what are altern, or alternative options? Is there a guy in free agency? Is there a guy who's on the trading block? Is there a quarterback in this draft that you are absolutely confident or a couple of quarterbacks? Hey, they could work. And the answer to all three of those questions are yes, yes, and yes. Free agency Kirk Cousins is on the market. 
Now, Kirk Cousins is not the guy that if you plug in this Pittsburgh team, especially coming off the Achilles, I don't expect him to go win the Super Bowl. Could they win a playoff game, though? Now, I know Kirk is, is known for, for not being great in big games. I understand that, but folks forget what Kirk Cousins was doing the first half of the year before he tore his Achilles in Green Bay. Guy was, I mean, dude lit up San Francisco when San Francisco was hot. Okay, at home on Monday Night Football, which Kirk Cousins is not good at Monday Night Football with no Justin Jefferson. Guy was playing well. I'd love to see Kirk Cousins in Pittsburgh. That's absolutely that's a massive upgrade from Pickett and Rudolph for for like a, a year, or two years. Then bring in a quarterback, maybe draft a guy. So free agent Kirk Cousins. Okay, that's obviously a better option in the short term, at least. Then you look at the trade market. Is there anybody on the trade block that's available? Hmm. Oh, yeah, Justin Fields is on the market. Now, he is a guy who uh, has a career record that isn't exactly impressive. He's well below, he's over 10 games below 500. Doesn't win a lot of football games. But is it crazy to say that given his upside, his ability to run the football, uh, he's he's a solid, not a great thrower of the football, but better than Pickett. Um, Plug him in, use him as a dual threat, Solid, improving young offensive line Pittsburgh. Give him the weapons. Give him the run game. Mike Tomlin, Arthur Smith, who I think is going to be a, a home run hired OC. Arthur Smith's in there to, 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 to short things up. You're telling me Justin Fields can get this team to the playoffs and be like a placeholder? Or maybe a, hey, kick the tires on it, see if it works. The upside's there. If it doesn't, okay, we draft a guy. So, guy in free agency, Kirk Cousins available. Guy in on the trade block, Justin Fields, he's available. And the draft, um, let's see. Well, Caleb Williams is going to go number one and, and should. He's one of the greatest talents, maybe the greatest talent I've ever seen come out of the draft. But um, there's a kid out of UNC named Drake May. There's a kid out of Oregon named Bo Nix. There's a kid out of Washington who I love in Michael Penix Jr. There's a guy out of LSU who just won the Heisman and Jaden Daniels. A lot of folks are high on J.J. McCarthy. I'm not one of them, but I get the hype. There's some stuff there that, I, that, there's, that could potentially work in this league. So that's uh we'll, we'll we'll put Caleb to the side. That's a one, two, three, four, five options. Now Pittsburgh drafts twenty first to my I think pretty sure they draft twenty first. So that's not going to be they'd have to probably trade up to get a guy they really liked that maybe higher touted than somebody else who would fall to twenty one. But uh, let's see, that's five potential options out of a draft, an option free agency, and an option of a trade block. That's seven options. Two of which are absolutely better than Pickett and Rudolph. Absolutely. Kirk Cousins is under. I think we'd all agree. Kirk Cousins is absolutely better than Pickett and Rudolph. Justin Fields, definitely better than Pickett. Rudolph, Rudolph was productive. He was. He's a backup quarterback. And he, a darn good one, by the way. If we could trade for Fields, uh, I'd prefer us draft a guy. But if we traded for Fields and kept Rudolph as the backup, I'd be, I'd be fine with that. I wouldn't have any issue with that. Because if, God forbid, knock on wood, if Fields were to get hurt and Rudolph comes in, hey, I've seen this guy win win, win games. Helped us go on a three-game winning streak to get to the playoffs last year. But when you have an organization that since the retirement of Big Ben, I did this is a double take. Again, sometimes you see those stats, you're like, huh? Listen to this, folks. Since Big Ben's retirement, which was after the 2021 season, so the last two years, last two years for the Pittsburgh Steelers, they have the fewest touchdown passes in football. The Steelers have played 34 games, uh, not including the playoffs. They've thrown 25 touchdown passes. 
the effing Jets have more TD passes than the Pittsburgh Steelers did. And Rodgers played four snaps, so obviously there's no Aaron Rodgers component there. The Panthers have had more touchdown passes, and they suck. Pittsburgh Steelers, this revered franchise, least passing touchdowns the last two seasons because they're too friggin' limited at quarterback when a Cousins is available and a Fields is available, and you got a lot of guys who I am really high on this upcoming draft. And you're going to stamp at with a highly limited quarterback out of Pittsburgh or University of Pitt in Kenny Pickett, who nice player, seemed like a nice kid. He's not taking the Steelers anywhere, especially in AFC with the guy in Kansas City running the world. You think Kenny Pickett's going to get it done? Oh, we're going to have defense and running game. Get your head out of your behind. It's been it's, it's not 2005 anymore. It's not. And Mason Rudolph, look, good arm, but completely immobile. Not a great decision maker. Uh, come on, guys. You're signing yourselves up for another 9-8, and 10-7 and seven season. Maybe a sneak in the playoffs. Maybe you're just on the outside looking in, and we're in the same position in 2025 as we are in 2024, which is where we were in 2023 and in 2022. Pittsburgh Steelers. Zero playoff wins in the last seven seasons. They have not won a playoff game since... Barack Obama was president. Today's President's Day, by the way. President's Day segment at the end of the show. But uh, it's been that long. This is the very reason, this is the very reason why I said, and maybe, listen, who knows? Let's look optimistically. Maybe the Steelers are being calculated. It's a smart organization. There's no question about that. They're being calculated. They're like, let's let this leak out. We're just between Pickett and Rudolph and then we snag somebody. We, we go get we go get a cousins, or we go draft a guy in a, in a, in a, you know two and a half months. Maybe that's what they're doing. I don't know. But if these are the true internal discussions regarding the future at quarterback, this is the very reason I said I'm willing to keep Mike Tomlin if he brings in a creative offensive play. Because Tomlin runs the defense and does an A plus job running the defense because he's a defensive guy and a great motivator and head coach. But as today's NFL, you need an elite quarterback and an elite play caller. Why were the Texans successful? They get they they hit a home run with their second pick, drafting C.J. Stroud. Now, they hit it on a lot of other picks, but that was the key piece. Obviously, they're going nowhere without C.J. Stroud, and they have a young, creative, offensive play caller, while D'Amico Ryans aced the defense and, 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 and led the football team as a whole. That is a winning strategy when you have a defensive head coach. I hear a lot of people, oh, you can't win with defensive head coach. Sure you can. You absolutely can. If you have a creative offensive play caller and an elite talent quarterback. The Steelers, I think, have the, the creative offensive play caller. I love the Arthur Smith hiring. Pickett and Rudolph. Are, you're telling me Pickett and Rudolph are going to knock off Mahomes? Really? Really? It's, um, again, it's starting. I said about Tomlin, that just doesn't mean he's a great, not a great head coach. But if this report is true, and we're assuming it is, then I'm starting to think it's a little bit of the Bill Belichick syndrome, and I'm about to talk about Belichick. It's a great – now, I think Tomlin's a better coach than Belichick. I don't care what anybody says. Uh, all time, I'm taking Tomlin over Belichick any day of the week. Tomlin didn't have the greatest quarterback ever um, and has been successful without Big Ben. At least has had winning seasons, um, though has not adjusted to the modern offensive game. Um, it's it's time to move on if this is true after next year. 
It, it, it just is. Everything runs its course, and it'll be time to move on. And the Steelers, not that they haven't had success hiring head coaches. They've had three since 1969. There you go. All right. Speaking of Belichick, let's talk about him because there's a report. Um, it's from CBS Sports, and, and this was a quote from Jimmy Johnson. One of the all-time great head coaches finally got in the Hall of Fame recently, deservedly so, and finally, even more so, finally got in the Cowboys Ring of Honor. Took him long enough. But Jimmy Johnson was on a show, uh, to, talking to Joe Rose on WQAM 560 in Miami. So shout out to, to, to the people who works there. But he was, ta- he was talking about how he had met with Belichick recently. Jimmy Johnson met with Belichick. Here's his quote. Bill and his girlfriend just left the house about four days ago, and he came down to spend a few days with me. We talked about a bunch of stuff. He had been with Bill Parcells and Nick Saban a couple days earlier, and some of these NFL owners are a bit afraid of him. The general managers and the personnel people within the organizations are really afraid of him because they think if he comes in, they are going to lose their jobs. A lot of people working against him as a lot of people working against him as far as getting a job. I was shocked that he didn't get some more opportunities. He'll get opportunities next year. Jimmy went on to say, quote, Bill is up front about it. He said, hey, I don't need to be have to be in charge of everything. That's what happened up in New England. He kind of fell into that, and it's not necessarily that he pushed for it. That's what happened because he was there for so long. He is more than willing to give up the decision-making to the general manager and the personnel people, end quote. So Jimmy straight up, flat out said, hey, Bill told me, if if I'm going to be, if, if I go somewhere, I'll just coach. I'll just coach. I won't be the GM because we know. I mean, and there was a report that came out from the Atlanta, from the Atlanta Falcons who interviewed Belichick multiple times. I, we're all thinking, oh, Bill's going to Atlanta. And then, bam, they hire Raheem Morris because the notion was, uh, we don't really want to fi- have to fire our general manager for a guy in Belichick who's going to coach, uh, you know, the team, but also run the personnel department and, um, Hasn't done a very good job, to say the very least. His last 10 drafts have been abysmal. Especially the last few were just a disaster. Horrible, horrible stuff. To the point where the the Rams, I remember there was a, there was a, a clip with Les Snead, the GM of the Rams, and Sean McVay, the head coach of the Rams, watching a Belichick draft pick on the TV as they're doing a press conference, and both of them snickered at a Belichick draft pick because it was, the heck is this guy doing? You, you, see, you see what they just did? He's a bad GM. So Jimmy Johnson says, hey, he'll relinquish power. And I still wouldn't hire him. And I'll tell you exactly why. Part of being a great head coach is being a great motivator. And Belichick, by all accounts, I I don't think there's any issues with that. I mean, those Patriot defenses, man, they were ready to go. Those Patriot offenses, mostly led by Brady, obviously, but hey, they were ready to go. Sunday in and Sunday out, by and large. But part of being a head coach, too, is can't do it by yourself. As I was just talking about Mike Tomlin, you need a good staff. And um, Belichick staffs have been, well, no other way to say it except for horrible. We can show you his head coaching tree. It's going back to his days in Cleveland. Okay, here's 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 his here's his coaching tree, going back to uh, his time in Cleveland. Okay, his, his this is the record of his assistant head coaches. Al Groh, I believe is how you say his name, went nine and seven. Nick Saban, this is, these are some of his better. Nick Saban coaching to Bill Belichick. He went 15 and 17 in the NFL. Romeo Cornell, disaster. Eric Mangini, not great. Josh McDaniels, disaster twice. Bill O'Brien, 
I mean, we consider that like his best guy. Four games under over 500. Okay, Bill O'Brien was fine. Um, Matt Patricia, awful. The Detroit players hated him. Brian Flores, one of the better assistant coaches that Belichick had. A game under 500. Joe Judge, disaster, 10 and 23. Even Brian Dable, who were like, hey, nice coach. I, I'm, a, I'm a Brian Dable guy through and through. He's 11, 14, and 1. He wins 44% of his games. And some of that's Daniel Jones, but Brian Dable's one of his better assistants. Three games under 500. Bill Belichick's coaching tree. Their record, for, uh, they've won uh, 42% of their football games. That's actually a bit of an outdated list. I apologize for that because of the simple fact that Dable obviously coached more games as well. But again, in general, Belichick assistants, they win 42% of their games as head coaches. So Bill does not put good staffs together. For context, I present to you Andy Reid's coaching tree, which is pretty darn impeccable. If we could put it up here. We got Andy Reid's coaching tree? I don't see it. It's, there, there it is. Brad Childress won 57% of his games. John Harbaugh won 61% of his games and has a Super Bowl ring. Now, Steve Spagnuolo, who's his ace defensive coordinator, not a good head coach. He's a disaster, okay? Leslie Frazier, not great. Ron Rivera, a game under 500, but uh, he went to a Super Bowl and had multiple playoff appearances in Carolina and one in Washington, okay? Uh, Pat Shermer, disaster. Todd Bowles, 15 games under 500, sure, but he's been in the playoffs the last two years with Tampa Bay. Doug Peterson wins 53% of his games and won a Super Bowl with Nick Foles. Sean McDermott, who people don't people think is no good, has won 64% of his games. Matt Nagy, who people also think is no good, is three games under five over 500 with Mitch Trubisky as his quarterback. David Culley didn't work. The Texans did him dirty. That's a long story. Didn't pan out. Andy Reid assistants win 52% of their games to Belichick's 42%. Bill can't put a staff together. If he goes to Atlanta or if he goes to Dallas, no Cowboys fan, oh, Belichick fixes everything. Actually, I think it'll make it worse. I'd prefer McCarthy over Belichick, and I'm not kidding when I say that. McCarthy's put together good staffs. Dan Quinn, say what you want. Solid defensive coordinator. I mean, did get a job in Washington. He did enough good things. Mike Zimmer, good defensive coordinator. Mike McCarthy's got a Super Bowl ring. He's called plays before. That's too predictable and not reliant enough on analytics, but it's better than what Belichick's guys have done. If Belichick goes to Dallas, goes to Atlanta, goes anywhere else, it's going to be a bunch of retreads. McDaniel's going to be his OC, probably Brian Patricia, maybe Joe Judge, probably his sons. You know, it's retreads. Bill O'Brien may come back for, for a cup of coffee. It's Belichick can't put a staff together. And this is why I've said for the longest time. We've gone over through and through Belichick's record with Brady, without Brady, and I've compared it to Andy Reid's record with Mahomes, without Mahomes. With, listen, without Mahomes, Andy Reid has no rings, but he's been to multiple, he's been to a Super Bowl and multiple NFC Championship games. Belichick, two playoff appearances without Tom Brady. Um, didn't work. So, I, I believe Jimmy Johnson, what he's saying, and I actually believe Belichick. Because, listen, Belichick probably looked around. He's like, there was eight head coach openings. I didn't get one of them. And the one in Atlanta, and we know for at least the one in Atlanta, maybe more than that, didn't hire him because they feared he'd become the general manager, take control of the organization. They didn't want that. I, which, by the way, I totally defended when that happened. I think Raheem Morris is a good hire. Uh, but Belichick probably saw that. And Belichick's a smart guy, has a, a certain level of self-awareness, and is like, 
Yeah, I, I think I probably need to maybe dial back the GM thing. But even if he coaches, he can't put a staff together. It was all Brady. I should say it's all Brady. It was 90-10 Brady. For years, I thought it was like 70-30. It's 90-10 Brady. If not 95-5. It's, it's not going to work. I, I still wouldn't hire him. Um, so there you go. I just don't think it works at all whatsoever. I, th I think, yeah, again, and the Cowboys, that's been a discussion. Hey, Belichick and Jerry, they're, they've been cool with each other. They're, they're buddies. And I, I, I've said it would never happen because Belichick would, or Jerry would never give the control personnel to Belichick. Well, that would, we'll see. Jerry's been better with personnel than Bill. But it's a lose-lose in terms of who runs personnel, Bill or Jerry. And Bill's not a good head coach without Tom. Would he be better with Dak Prescott than Mac Jones? Yeah, because Dak's way better than Mac. But love Dak. It's my guy. He ain't exactly Brady. <laughs> That's the understatement of the year. Although he did retire Brady. Everybody hates Dak, but he literally retired the greatest quarterback ever. Anyways, um, it's it's he'll bring in a bad staff. Dak will regress. The defense will be average. You know, they won't draft well, particularly on offense, which they haven't done that anyway. But it, it's it's not it's not going to work. It's just not going to work. Um, so there you go. Okay, final topic today is I literally forgot about it until I saw Twitter around like eleven thirty this morning. But today's President's Day. Now, you know. New listeners, new viewers to Carving Up Live may not know this. Uh, Long-time listeners of the show probably do, but I am a an avid fan, learner, reader, listener of presidential history. Uh, since I was a little kid, this may shock some people, but I have I have followed presidential history more than I sorry not more longer than I have sports. I got into presidential history. I remember I was a little kid. And my mom went to, gosh, I don't know, was it Target or something? She went to one of those stores and bought me like a pack. It was like a pack of cards. It was like information cards about, at the time, Obama was president. So it was the, it was the 44 presidents of the United States. And like the front of the card would have their presidential portrait. And then the back of the card would have like their information, personal information, like footnotes of their presidency, what they did, when their term started, when their term ended, who the, who the first lady was you know, cabinet members, vice president. And it was, I, I don't know why, I just found it so fascinating. I was like really poured myself into this. And I still do today. I, I, I love it. And a couple of years ago, I did a presidential series with uh, a friend of mine, Isaac Lawson. It's on YouTube now. I put it in a playlist. You can go check it out. A couple of years ago. And basically what we did is we looked at the presidential history of all 46 presidents. You know, up to Biden. And again, that was a couple of years ago. Obviously, more has happened in the last couple of years. But basically looked at what happened during their turn during their term, what happened during their presidencies, events that happened, you know, domestically, events that happened, you know, worldwide. And I, it was a 10-part series. So we covered the presidents one by one for the first nine episodes. And then we gave a ranking list on episode 10. Both of us did. And it was a blast. I had a, a great time doing it. Shout out to Isaac. Um, is a history major, I believe. And so I, I, I'm an avid fan of, of presidential history. So I thought for President's Day, I could do a little bit of a, a combination here. What I mean by that is combine the two worlds that I've been fascinated with for oh so long, presidential history and sports. 
And so if we can get the the background music going right here. I tried to find like a presidential sort of uh, soundtrack, but it, it just kind of didn't fit. It would have been like a Yankee Doodle Dandy type of feel, and I just don't think it really, really works. So regular background music, let's put it on real quick. The five individuals. Five people in sports that I think would make good presidents. Their politics aside, conservative, liberal, like that's, keep it civil, that aside, just in terms of their overall makeup as individuals. Who would make good presidents? So the first one I thought about was Derek Jeter. I think Derek Jeter would make a good president. So Derek Jeter, we knew him as the captain of the New York Yankees. That was his nickname back in the day. Do we have the, the Derek Jeter? There it is, Derek Jeter um, uh, in, in for the White House there. Derek Jeter is a guy who was the captain of the Yankees, was the overall, the steady leader. You Yankees fans didn't think a Red Sox fan was going to go up here and back up a Yankee, but Derek Jeter was always my favorite Yankee, if that is even a thing for a Red Sox fan to say. Um, always clutch, always came up big when it mattered, always cool, calm, collected, very chill. The moment was never too big for him. That's what we need in a president, right? When there's things happening in the United States outside of it, global conflicts, like we need somebody who's cool, measured, not going to overreact, going to have a good temperament. Derek Jeter fits that to a T. And so I think Derek Jeter would, would be a, a, a perfect uh, candidate uh, for president. Again, by the way, for all of these in a hypothetical sense, obviously, but my thing is at least have served in the military at least have a little bit of political experience. Serve as a senator, governor, something. Okay, so Derek Jeter's the first one I had on my list. The second one was Steph Curry. So Steph Curry fits the mold of president. There, you're going to see one later on that will uh, fit even better. But Steph Curry, I think, would make a good president because he inherited a mess in Golden State. The Golden State Warriors were a joke when Steph Curry was drafted seventh overall in 2009 out of Davidson. He's a guy who was... Unique, very different, you know, kind of a skinny shooter. Is he really a point guard? We're not sure what to do with him. Stayed true to himself, dealt with a lot of adversity, but overcame it and becomes one of the greatest players of all time. And revolutionized the game, turned the Warriors into a dynasty powerhouse. We know the story there. And so I think he would fit the presidency because, again, good temperament, great leader. Uh, moments never too big for him. Is very cool, calm, collected. But is a guy who is unique and, and, and many times we think about the run-of-the-mill politician the career politician who serves 30 40 50 years i don't know if these days i don't even know if serve is the correct word to use but nonetheless um oftentimes presidents especially the great ones kind of differentiate themselves uh, from the rest um I, I think about individuals like abraham lincoln I think who I think is the greatest president we ever had. Abe Lincoln was a guy who didn't fit the mold as president. Kind of had like a, a nasally voice by all accounts. Uh, kind of tall, lanky, really stood out, right? The, the beard, all that. But was an exceptional leader during one of the worst moments, probably the, the biggest uh, conflict we ever had in American history, and that was the Civil War. So Lincoln roast the occasion. Steph's the type of guy to stay true to himself. I think he would work in that regard. So Steph Curry, I think, would make uh, a really good president. Next one's Tom Brady. So Tom Brady is a guy who is, again, underdog story, you know, didn't have, now Tom Brady, middle class, upper middle class uh, upbringing, obviously, with his parents and all that and his family, but but Tom's a guy who, we all know the story, drafted 199 out of Michigan, sixth round, and then goes on to be the greatest player in NFL history. But Tom is, again, leadership skills there. I think Tom's the type of guy to 
again, a presence in control of their cabinet. But Tom, what was Tom so great at for so long, especially at the end of New England, is outside of Gronk, wasn't surrounded by a whole lot of elite offensive pieces. He just somehow find a way to make it work. He's the galvanizing force, guys. Let's bring it in. We got a big drive coming up. So, you know, get the guys ready for the game. Um, like Tom's the type of dude. And, and, and Tom, and listen, a lot of presidents, Lyndon Johnson, primary example. Very confrontational. Tom did not care to to, to get right nose to nose with an offensive coordinator, Josh McDaniels, Bill O'Brien before. You know, that's he's not scared of confrontation. Sometimes you gotta be that way as a president. Sometimes you gotta have a certain streak of it. Again, Lyndon Johnson, way back in the 60s, and Lyndon went over the edge many, many times. But he was a guy who was very uh would kind of bully you to a certain degree. And again, that's he would often push the boundaries of that. Teddy Roosevelt may be a better example, right? Teddy was bully pulpit. We know that that goes. Uh, Tom feels like, and Tom often quotes the man in the arena, which is a famous Teddy Roosevelt speech, which is one of the great speeches in, in history, in my opinion. Um, I feel like Tom would kind of fit that mold well. So I think Tom Brady uh, would be a, a, a great presidential figure, so to speak. The next one, I'm going to get so much pushback from it, but I don't care. Dak Prescott. Okay, Dak Pre So Dak Prescott is already... <laughs> in the sports world kind of similar to a presidential figure we know there is no position there is no individual in the world of american team sports more scrutinized more criticized more looked at with from every which angle than the quarterback of the dallas cowboys we look at their every single little move and dak from a Obviously, from a personal perspective, has absolutely aced that. He's Walter Payton Man of the Year winner. He's done a lot of great work in the community, outside the community. So he knows how to, to put boots on the ground, get things done. Uh, in that regard, which is what we always say, man, we just want someone in there who's who's just like us who can get things done, negotiate with both sides, with the other side. Obviously, I feel like Dak would really would really thrive in that role. But Dak again, a guy who inherited and is still around because that's the culture in Dallas. Chaos. He got the owner who's an egomaniac and can't help himself from being in front of the press constantly and isn't a terribly good man general manager to boot. He got a head coach who seems in over his head. He got a roster that's not even close to as, as good as, as, as folks make it out uh, to be. The best player on the team, arguably Micah Parsons, is just doing podcast appearance after podcast appearance and making guys in his team look bad and the organization not look great. And Dak, smooth, setting force. Now, could he produce more in the playoffs? No question about it. No question about it. He does deserve a, a, a certainly a certain level of blame for that Packers loss. It was not. It was certainly a stain uh, on, on Dak. There's no question about it, especially given uh, the regular season that he had. But I think when you talk about Dak in the context of leadership, uh, dealing with chaos around him, I think Dak would would thrive in that role again. Being quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys, I think, is kind of the sports equivalent of being president of the United States, and so I think he would he would excel in that role. A, a bit of a an FDR, so to speak, right? FDR was a guy who inherited a mess, the Great Depression in 1932, and, and and by the way, inherited from a kind of an uninspiring leader in Herbert Hoover. Romo loved him, underrated. Not the greatest leader. Not that he was a bad leader. Not that he was bad in the locker room. But Dak galvanizes the locker room. Dudes play their butts off for Dak. They don't play for Mike McCarthy. They play for Dak Prescott. A uh, little bit of an FDR type of feel. So Dak, I think, would fit that role beautifully. And the final one, uh, and, and I think there's the potential, maybe someday he may actually run for president. Who knows? Is LeBron James. I think as the fifth and final, I think LeBron James would make a good presidential candidate type of figure. Um, I, I think LeBron is, obviously we know he's politically active, he's socially active and aware. 
Uh, so from that perspective, he's he's used to that. He's used to the criticism. And we know there's been a lot of presidents, heck, very recently, who, man, the criticism, they got thin skin. Every little insult bothers them. And you got to have thick skin as president of the United States. No athletes. We talked about Dak being the most scrutinized player, but that's because of his position, where he's at. LeBron, it's, hey, kid, 16-year-old over there in Ohio, you're the chosen one. You're going to succeed Michael Jordan. What? Putting these massive expectations. That's like if in 2028, because the nominees are going to be Biden and Trump, but whether we like it or not, that's the nominees. 2028, if some young upstart candidate for the Democrats or Republicans came up and, and, and the media was like, hey, hey, you, you're the next Abraham Lincoln. Good luck. That's completely unfair. It's like, are you kidding me? You're comparing me to that guy or, or Washington, whoever, whoever you want to throw out there. That's basically what, what LeBron was, was given is, is, is a big load. Hey, you're going to be the, the, you're going to be one of the greatest players ever. And if you're not, you're a complete failure. And LeBron somehow exceeded those expectations. He's an excellent leader. He's won everywhere he's went. He won in dysfunctional Cleveland. He won in dysfunctional Los Angeles. He won in functional Miami. He's been the face of the NBA, so he's used to the pressure. Now, there's difference between being the most famous athlete in America and being president of the United States. I understand that. But it's not something that's foreign to him. He's a guy who came from, forget middle class, he was flat out poor growing up. He, he had moved from house to house, single mother, never knew his father, and was found a way to, to rise above it. Again, given the fact that he's, he's one of the great basketball talents, but he had the work ethic. He didn't let the fame get to him. Doesn't get in trouble. No scandals. Again, say what you want about the man, regardless if you agree or disagree with his politics. President Obama never had a scandal. Never had a scandal. That's LeBron James. I mean, look, come on. If the scandal is China in 2019, uh, it's kind of, it's, it's not. If that's what bothers you, with all due respect, get a therapist. Um, so that's that feels like it's, it's, it's with LeBron James. And so I think you kind of fit that mold well. So there you go. That's the five individuals, I think. Five people involved in the world of sports I think would make good presidential figures. We'll put them up one more time before we get out of here. I think Derek Jeter would make a good president. I think Tom Brady would make a good president, as would Steph Curry, Dak Prescott, and LeBron James. Those five. You can throw out other ones. Uh, I thought about Mahomes uh, potentially being somebody I would consider. But I think those guys, all of them, tremendous leaders. In the case of some of them, inherited messes and have risen above it. And have maintained a level of, of uh, I don't know if dignity is necessarily the right word, but like a certain level of being beloved from the public. So there you go. That's what I got. All right. That's all the time we have for today's show. I appreciate everybody stopping by as always. Be sure to catch Carving It Up Live on Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific time right here on Twitter. As well as the Carving It Up YouTube channel and the Grid Network YouTube channel Wednesday show. I, I, I've done this the last couple of years, going to bring it back. So All-Star break ends on Thursday, going to be coming back on Wednesday. And I did this last year where I go at, I look at the Eastern Conference, the Western Conference, and I lay out kind of the teams that are on the fringe contender or pretender bubble. And I tell you, if they're a contender or a pretender, I tend to be pretty accurate on this stuff, so I'm putting a lot of pressure on myself this year to get that right. That's going to be on Wednesday, so definitely stay tuned for that, as well as carving up the context and Bryson's best Tim. Uh, and of course, be sure to like, share, comment, and take two seconds out of your day. Hit that big red subscribe button. It helps the channel grow exponentially. We're trying to get to 1,000 subscribers. I think we just hit 750, like within the last couple of hours. So we're we're 75% of the way there, folks. So thank you to everybody who has subscribed. Cannot tell you how much I appreciate y'all's love and y'all's support. Uh, to those who have subscribed, again, thank you. 
please, please be sure to contact or to, to talk about uh, the show, to, to tell your friends, your family, uh, not your cat, though. Because if cat's sleeping, I know I have a cat. That's you'll you'll piss them off. That's that's just you don't want to do that. Um, tell everybody else about it though. And if you have not subscribed, hey, just takes a couple seconds here if you're on YouTube. Bigger subscribe button down there, hit it, and you're part of the carving it up family. And uh, we will treat you well. Let's put it that way. And uh, also, by the way, just as importantly, be sure to go subscribe to the Grid Network. That is G-R-Y-D, The Grid Podcast Network, right here on YouTube, as well as any and everywhere you get your favorite podcast via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, any and everywhere that you get your favorite podcast on The Grid Network and The Grid Network's website. My man Patrick Brown put some great content out in regard to uh, uh, writing articles and whatnot. He is putting them out like crazy. Be sure to check that stuff out. I'll see y'all on Wednesday. Be sure to stay safe out there. Please be sure to take care of your physical as well as your mental health. And please, please be sure to contact your local state representatives and senators to demand change for gun violence in America. I talked about it on Friday. I've talked about it far too often. We saw what happened last week and what happens every day in this country. It's an epidemic. We've got to stop it with everything that we have. And um, making our voices heard is, is, is one of the primary ways to do it, particularly voting this November. And, that will certainly be an issue on my mind and hopefully on yours as well. So very important issue. Let's contact your local state representatives and senators to demand change for gun violence in America. All right. Fun show today. NBA All-Star stuff, NFL, a little presidential, you know, stuff. So there you go. See you on Wednesday. Stay safe out there. God bless y'all. Peace out. Don't play the players, y'all. Thanks so much for watching the show on YouTube, and be sure to go click that big red subscribe button and check out the other clips and full shows from Carving It Up Live as well as our other incredible content creators here on the Grid Network.